Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with the preparation for the wicked as we pick up in Psalm chapter 7, verse 10. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. My defense is of God, which saves the upright in heart. God judges the righteous, and God is angry with the wicked every day. If he turn not, he will wet his sword or sharpen his sword. He has bent his bow and made it ready. He has also prepared for him the instruments of death. That's sort of a heavy scripture. God has already prepared for the wicked the way by which he's going to die. He's bent his bow. He's sharpened his sword. He already has planned the method of the destruction of the wicked. Behold, he travaileth with iniquity and conceives mischief. He brought forth falsehood. He made a pit. He dug it and has fallen into the ditch which he made. His mischief shall return upon his own head and violent dealing shall come down upon his own pate. I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. So again, ending on a high note as he uh, tells of the judgment of God against his enemy, and I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness. Sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. Psalm 8 is to the chief musician upon Gittith. Now, Gittith means winepress. And so you have the thought of the harvest in the sense, actually, of judgment. The time of harvest has come. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. The first Lord, all capital letters, signifies that it is a translation of the Hebrew name for God. That name, which we do not know exactly how to pronounce, perhaps it is Yahweh, perhaps it is Jehovah, nobody really knows for sure. People have taken sides on the issue, but it's a mute question. We really are not certain of the pronunciation of the name. The Jews felt the name was so sacred that they would not write it in their script. They would only write YHVH, the consonant, so it remained unpronounceable. They didn't want a person to even pronounce it silently as they were reading. So when a Jew would come to this particular verse to read it, O Lord, our Lord, reading it out of Hebrew, he would just say, O, and then he'd bow his head and say, the name. But he would not try to pronounce the name, just the name. For it was the name of God. It is a... Hebrew verb, which means I am that I am, or more literally, the becoming one. It is a name by which God describes his desired relationship to you as God desires to become to you whatever you may need. 
He has become our peace. He has become our righteousness. He has become our healer. He has become our provider. God becomes to us whatever we need. And so it is, it's a beautiful name because it is a name by which God describes his relationship to you. He wants to become to you whatever you need. The second Lord here, our Lord, capital L, small O-R-D, signifies that it is the translation of the Hebrew word Adonai, which means master. And thus it is a title, and thus it signifies our relationship to him. The first one signifies his desired relationship to us, the becoming one. The second indicates our relationship to him, master. O Jehovah, our master. How excellent is thy name. You see, the name Jehovah, how excellent is that name in all the earth. Now, we are told in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus, even though he was in the form of God and thought it not robbery or something to be grasped to be equal with God, emptied himself or made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a man and coming in likeness of a man was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jehovah Shua, the compound name of Jehovah, for he has become in Jesus Christ our salvation. The angel said to Joseph when he was worried about whether or not to expose Mary or put her away privately, the angel said, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. That which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She's going to bring forth a son. Thou shalt call his name Jehovah Shua or Yahshua in Hebrew, for he shall save his people from their sins. A name that is above all names. How excellent is thy name. The name of Jesus, the most excellent name in all of the world. Yahshua, Jehovah has become our greatest need, our salvation. Now in the kingdom age, He's going to have a new name, Jehovah Tzid Canoe. I would just as soon stick with Yahshua because Tzid Canoe is hard to pronounce. But Jeremiah tells us that that is the name in the kingdom age, which is he has become our salvation, Jehovah our salvation. How excellent is thy name a name which is above every name in all the earth. Who has set thy glory above the heavens. Now, the heavens are glorious. The heavens declare the glory of God. They are not the glory of God. They declare the glory of God. His glory is even above the heavens or higher than the heavens. And yet perhaps the most glorious thing that we as man can observe are the heavens. But God's glory is even above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. 
It is interesting to me that that glorious God has revealed himself in such simple terms that even a child can comprehend and begin to know God and have faith in God. And, and to me, the purest faith probably that we can find is that faith within a child. How beautiful is that, that faith of a child. When our kids were growing up, I always wanted them to pray for me when I wasn't feeling well. Such pure faith, the simplicity, as Jesus took a child and put it in the midst of all the scholars. And he said, unless you become like a little child, you're not going to catch on. You're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, God has perfected praise. He's ordained strength. Then David said, when I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man? Now, the philosophers and man today is seeking to understand what is man. That is a basic question of the philosophers. What is man? But the mistake that the philosophers make is that they start with man rather than as with David starting with God. O Lord, our Lord, when I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon, the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man? If I start with God, then I have man in his proper perspective. If I start with man, I have no perspective. I have no place to go. I don't know where to go. I have no perspective. I can't see man in any perspective unless I start with God, and then I see man in his proper perspective. When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man? That thou art mindful of him. How often I've sat at the seashore watching the sun go down when I was a child. I lived in a seacoast town, Ventura, north of here. And I used to love to get my fishing pole and go down and dig for soft-shelled sand crabs, and I had a neat corbina hole. And I'd cast out there, and I'd just watch the surf, and I'd watch the sun as it would go down. And I'd be all alone on the sandy beach. And I felt so small as it was getting dark. I felt so small as Venus would start to come out and then some of the other stars. And I'd look up and I'd think, wow, I'm alone here on the beach looking out at that portion of the Pacific to the horizon, seeing the sun go down and thinking how vast the Pacific Ocean was, how vast the world was. I knew just to ride my bike, the two miles back to my house seemed like a long way at that point, and to realize, you know, just how vast the earth is. And I felt so small in relationship to the earth, but then I thought of the earth in relationship to the sun that had just set. 
And then the relationship to the earth, to the stars that I saw coming out. And what is man that thou art mindful of him? Here I am, a speck of dust down on this little planet, and yet God thinks about me. All the time he thinks about me. And sitting there in the sand, it was exciting because I'd look up the beach and see all the sand dunes. And my mother had taught me the scripture concerning thy thoughts, concerning me. If I should number them, they are more than the grains of sand on the sea. And I'd think of the greatness of God, and I would just sit there just overawed that God, the one who created this vast universe that I was looking at, was mindful of me. This little kid sitting on the sand on a beach by myself. What is man that thou art mindful of him? God is thinking about you all the time, and his thoughts concerning you are good, not evil. He's not thinking how he can give you a bad time this week and make it really tough on you. See how much he can make you squirm? <laughs> God is thinking, how can I show them how much I love them. How can I show them that I care? What good thing can I do for them this week? That they'll know that I'm there, that I know I'm concerned, that they know that I love them. It's thinking about you all the time. And the Son of Man, that thou shouldest visit him. What is man that God should come down to visit him? Who am I that God should seek to visit with me, and yet he desires to visit with me? I don't always have time for him. Sometimes he's called to me and said, Chuck, come, let's have a little visit. And I said, no, Lord, I don't have time. I'm so busy, Lord. Can't you see how busy I am? Catch you later, Lord. But you know what? He has never once said to me, I'm too busy for you. In fact, he seems always so happy whenever I come around. So glad that I came. As though he was longing for my fellowship when I had everything to gain from it, and he has so little to gain. Oh, how excellent, Lord, is thy name in all the earth. Who is a pardoning God like thee? Who is a God that is so merciful and so kind and so loving and so concerned as our God? What is man that God should visit him? And yet he did. Thou hast made him. Man is not the product of accidental circumstances. Man is not the product of a series of chance, random chance, through billions of years. But the psalmist declares, thou hast made him. But brilliant men who don't want to acknowledge God, 
because they don't want to keep God in their minds, have had to create theories by which they have sought to explain the existence of man in, quote, scientific terms. And these brilliant men tell us that God was created by man in man's own image and after man's own likeness. That because man needed to believe in something, he created the idea and the concepts of God. But God is only the figment of man's imagination. He was created by man. But the scripture said, not so. Thou hast made him. God created man in his image and after his likeness. So you have the choice to believe that man created God or God created man. But to me, if I'm going to have any kind of a logical base for existence, I must believe that God has created me. Otherwise, life is without purpose. I'm living in a puzzle in the middle of a muddle, and there is no reason, rhyme, purpose or for existence or being. I came by an accident. I'll go by an accident. Tough. Life becomes completely empty dehumanizing if you try to take away from thou hast made him. Thou hast made him a little lower than the angels. Now the angels are God's ministering spirits. They've been sent forth to minister to those who are heirs of salvation. We see the order now of beings in the universe. It is God, angels, man, Animals, plants. Thou hast made him a little lower than the angels. But you've crowned him with glory and honor. I look around the earth in which I live. I see all of the life forms upon the earth. And I realize that I have been crowned with glory and honor. I am the highest order of God's observable creation here on the planet earth. And I see the accomplishments of man. Think of what the world would be if man wasn't here, both good and bad, isn't it? If man wasn't on the earth, they wouldn't have polluted streams, polluted skies, and threat of destruction by nuclear warheads. And yet also, if man wasn't here, there would be no music, there'd be no poetry, there would be no beautiful paintings, there would be, you know, the, the worth would the earth would, would miss so much as God has placed in man the music and the beauty of expression. You've crowned him with glory and honor. You made him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. God has given us dominion over that work of his hands. The, the earth showeth forth his, his handiwork. So we have dominion over the plants. We have dominion over the animals. Over the earth, God gave it to Adam. Have dominion over it. 
Now that is dominion in the sense of dressing it, keeping it, taking care of it, developing it. It isn't dominion in the sense that I can destroy it if I please, I can waste it if I please. I can recklessly, carelessly destroy the natural resources if I please because I have dominion, not at all. The idea is to dress it, to keep it, to take care of it. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, crowned him with glory and honor. Now, this, in a broader sense, of course, applies to Jesus Christ and is used in application to Jesus Christ in the book of Hebrews, the second chapter, verses 6 and 8, and it has been made to apply to Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. You see, he was God, not Michael the archangel. If he was Michael the archangel, then he wouldn't have to have been made a little lower than the angels. He would, have been the, he would have been an angel, and he wouldn't have had to have been made a little lower than the angels, but he made him a little lower than the angels and crowned him for the suffering of death as... as as an angel, he could not die. As God, he could not die. And thus he had to be made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. We'll return with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of Psalms on our next broadcast. As Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible, and we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Psalms 7-8 through 8 when visiting thewordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's thewordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of The Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord enrich you in all good things in Christ Jesus. And may the Lord continue His work in your life as He draws you unto Himself, as He cleanses you through His Word, as he fits you and prepares you for that work that he would have you to do. God bless you. God strengthen you and keep you ever in his love and in his will. In Jesus' name. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. 
Have you ever thought about this simple phrase, God loves you? This just might be the most important truth you could ever grasp, that God has called you into a loving relationship with himself. Unfortunately, many of us have been brought up to think that we need to earn God's love. In Chuck Smith's book, Why Grace Changes Everything, Pastor Chuck imparts years of wisdom from his own experiences, how he thought he had to work hard and deny his own desires for God to love him. But when he unlocked the secret to God's grace, this changed everything. Come alongside Pastor Chuck to discover an astonishing truth about your relationship with Jesus Christ. That it's not based upon your works, but based upon God's love for you. It's true. Grace changes everything. To find out more and to read a preview, visit thewordfortoday.org and click on the link to download Why Grace Changes Everything by Chuck Smith. Or if you would like to order this book in print, call The Word for Today at 800-272-9673.